everybody. Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Deanna Larson. This week, we're sitting down with Scott Stebner, a nationally published agricultural photographer and videographer. Or to put it more simply, Scott creates photos and videos of people with grit. Scott's sharing about some of the amazing projects he's been involved with, why he has started to focus more on video, and why he's not afraid to fail. It's a great and fun conversation. So here we go with Scott Stebner. Well, today we're here in Topeka, Kansas with Scott Stebner. Scott, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it's going to be fun. Well, I actually came to know you, Scott, through your photography, but that I found out is actually just one of many things you do. So tell us about the different things that you're involved in. Yeah, you know, over the years, I've kind of lost track over <laughs> over all the different things that I do. Am I am I a researcher? Am I a teacher? Am I a photographer? Am I a communications professional? So, uh, really, long story short, what I absolutely love to do is, uh, I guess, my tagline is: I try to take cinematic photos of people with grit, and that's really what I love to do. And I just want to take some epic photos of blue collar people everyday people who really don't have a ton of chances to tell the world who they are Mm -hmm. and show them with some great lighting, some really cool photography, and hopefully a a really compelling story to go with it. Yeah, that's great. So something that may really surprise people about you is your upbringing really had nothing to do with agriculture, rural, none of that. No, I am a huge surf bum from Southern California. <laughs> so I, uh, b- before I left California, I was at home on a wave, just uh, scouting out the waves, the breakers on my board, looking at the sunset, and, and that was my home spot to me. And you know, I'm from San Diego County, and we, uh, even though everyone called it a farm that I grew up on, we had four acres and uh, not not a farm. We had like two pigs to get bacon from okay. growing up. And my mother was a horse trainer. So it was actually a really neat success story for her. She grew up on the Stanford campus and someone let her ride a horse once and she eventually became the equestrian coach at Stanford and broke horses and trained hunter jumpers for a career. And when I was growing up, she tried to get me involved in, in showing horses and riding horses. And I took one look at the pants the English people have to wear. Not for me. <laughs> Not for me one bit. And so we kind of looked at some other avenues and we decided to get involved in 4-H. We had a little bit of land and we could have a few animals and not break our zone zoning requirements on that. And so we started raising sheep. Uh, we really couldn't afford cattle to, to raise and show and on the show circuit because my, both my parents were teachers. And so that's what we did. And our county fair was actually the largest county fair in the country. It had about two and a half million people come to it every single year. Wow. Yeah, it was the Del Mar Fair back then. Now it's a San Diego County Fair. And our 4-H club was one of the biggest in the country, too. Out in California, it's not by county. So that was one thing that I had to learn coming out here is they're kind of by county sometimes. Uh Ours, our town's 4-H club was 350 kids. Wow. So it was really big. We had a huge livestock presence. 
And I remember my very first county fair, I was like nine years old showing the sheep. And my 4-H leader, Jan Hilton and Kathy Johnson, I think they'd end up putting like 60 years between the two of them volunteering for this 4-H club. They came up to me that first year and said, you are going to go give demonstrations to strangers about sheep and about agriculture. Wow. And you're going to do 20 a, year, 20 a fair. Oh, Every okay. fair, you're going to do 20 demonstrations. I'm like, oh, okay. And my mother was a teacher, so we obviously we went way out. I had like my lesson plans and everything like that. And I would just stop random people going by at the age of 9 and 10 saying, hey, do you want a demonstration on lanolin or something like that? Immediately, my mind goes to Anchorman reference, lanolin. <laughs> but anyways, besides the point. But so that's what I did. I grew up having to go out and give demonstrations to city people. And these are people coming by the fairgrounds, looking at the sheep, going, oh, look at the camel. Like, dead serious. Oh, they had never seen a lamb before in their life in person. They had, uh, like, oh, look at that cute little llama. Still a lamb. Like, <laughs> just told you it wasn't a camel, and it's not a llama. It's, it's a lamb. So that's what I grew up doing. I uh, wow. showed all over the country, actually, anywhere from California out to Indiana. I would go and show and fit sheep. Amazing. So I had a lot of like show circuit experience okay. with it. And being a surf bum and kind of in the, the hard rock and roll scene, I was in some like grunge bands and sadly an emo band. Not, not proud of that moment in my life, but <laughs> I was in an emo band. We won't link to that in the show. Yeah, we can cut that out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, just really gave me appreciation for kind of what I was learning through 4-H. Yeah. And what all my other friends believed. And I went off to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. It's a little slice of heaven on the central coast to study pre-vet animal science till I ran into a horrible thing called physics. Uh -huh. And uh, then I decided to become an ag teacher. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Physics and me, Same. we are not the best of friends. Me either. <laughs> and so I got my teaching credential and I got my first job teaching in the Bay Area and starting an ag program in a city of one million. Wow. So it was, a, it was interesting. Our kids, like you hear the stories about those high schoolers who think like milk comes from a Pepsi machine <laughs> or like chocolate milk does come from those brown cows. Like it was true. Wow. That's what they thought here. And uh, so we started an FFA program and it had like 500 kids in it which was super cool, and they loved ag. We had 60 or 70 kids showing livestock at the county fair, and not one of them was involved in ag. How fun. It was so much fun because then I was taking like this whole new world to them that they had never experienced before, and they're going off and now majoring in agriculture. Some of them, uh, our students are communications experts at huge agricultural produce companies. Some of them are ag teachers. Some of them are regular teachers. It's been really fun to watch them see. But uh, it was interesting at times. Like, I remember we didn't have a budget to go and do our livestock judging camps and, like, different farms. So we just did the best of what we could. We had pictures. And I remember our first competition, like, my livestock kids got out of the van and were like, oh, my gosh, those are cows. They're so cute. They'd never seen a cow in person. And so, <laughs> you know, we did not place well, but it was fine. We weren't expecting to, but yeah. they were able to go out and try to give a set of reasons and get a little, dip their toes in agriculture. So that was I really fun. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Well, how did you go from kind of that? You obviously started to just build this career in egg and you got more and more involved. Where did you go from there? Yeah, so I... 
love teaching, mm -hmm. but I also had kind of a hobby, photography. Uh -huh. And it's kind of funny how you look back and things come full circle, right? Absolutely. And so um, I can't say this bragging-wise because I'm not related by blood, it's by marriage, but my uncle was the, one of the first Life Magazine photographers ever hired. Okay, wow. And he got his career at the FSA during the Great Depression photographing cotton farmers in the drought in the South. Wow. And I used to listen to his stories and he'd have a museum exhibition open and we'd go to it and we'd hear about it. And he was a, a pretty successful World War II photographer as well. And his wife was a writer and that, that's my aunt. I'm related to her. And she had a New York Times bestseller um, back when, when they were um, younger. And they were the first husband-wife photography writer team for Life magazine. Wow. Yeah. So I always wanted to be a writer growing uh -huh. up. And then some weird thing got in my head. I was walking down the streets of San Luis Obispo, and I had just gotten uh, my financial aid check. And being the really responsible undergrad that I was, I walked by a camera store, saw a digital camera that was used. This is just when DSLRs were coming out. And I thought to myself, I'm going to buy that camera, and I'm going to get a job tomorrow. Bought that camera, walked into a newspaper the next day, and I got a job. Nice. So I, I got, I did a lot of journalism that way and spent time in Ethiopia, two trips to Ethiopia doing some photo journalism and photo documentary stuff there. And somehow a friend of mine worked for an ag publication and he wanted some portraits of people in the wine industry. So that was my first commissioned ag project back in the early 2000s and just slowly started photographing agriculture ever since. That's great. And I think you know, when people first hear the term agriculture photography, they think farmers, crops, but it's actually so much more diverse than that. Yeah, it really is. And you just take a look at it and coming from California, it's very diverse. And, sure. you know, I'd never seen a combine in person until I moved to the Midwest. And I wow. went out on a home visit with one of my students and I rode in his combine. But we had completely different agriculture if you take a look at in California fruits nuts vegetables but there's biotechnology there's people growing algae there's you name it I love it because agriculture is so vast that you can really spend your life photographing it and never really experience the same thing again yeah that's great so all of that how has your background given you a unique perspective on the agriculture industry you know, I think, I think it really is unique in that, you know, I had a lot of obviously book studies, my undergrad and my master's are both in agriculture. So I had a lot of theoretical concepts and everything like that. And I've learned a lot too. I've had to humble myself and learn and know that, you know, I don't have the actual cultural experience of agriculture. So I had to go out and learn it too and find a way to translate it. But I think the biggest asset that has helped me in my career is I know that my upbringing, I mean, I was a city kid. Mm -hmm. We might have had 20 head of sheep growing up, but I was a city kid. And I love the art scene. I'm an artist. So I'm in the art scene all the time. And I love the music scene. So I'm in the music scene all the time. Almost all my friends are not in agriculture. And so every time, let's say I'm contracted to do work, or I'm publishing a blog or a video for the day job or anything like that, I'm always keeping... I'm always keeping that consumer in mind. And I'm always trying to remember that I think there's a big misconception out there that they're not dumb, they're just misinformed. Yeah. They are actually really educated on topics. 
their sources might not be accurate mm -hmm. and their sources might be full of it and they might include Netflix, <laughs> but you know, they're learning in earnest Yeah. and they're not dumb. They're just misinformed and they need someone to guide them along. And so I think my complete urban background and being in, you know, a coastal kid, a surf bum in the art scene and music scene, that's been the biggest thing. Cause every time I snap a picture, every time I write a blog post every time I compose and edit a video. I'm taken back to those hundreds of demonstrations that I had to do at the San Diego County Fair yeah. to you know millions of people um, that were walking by that I would just try to wrangle in. And I try to remember their questions and I try to remember their concerns and their insights. And I'm not going to say it's a perfect science at all. So I really just try to go back and think these are real concerns that people have. They're real questions. Mm -hmm. They're not dumb at all. They're very intelligent. They're just misinformed. Yeah. And that's a big thing. And then coupled with my master's degrees in agricultural communications. And then my research was really specifically in relationship management on social media and how we can use that in agriculture. My kind of secondary set of focus on research was how to really tailor and craft visual messages. So they take advantage of cognitive and emotive um, functions in people. So I try to take that super urban upbringing that I have. I know I got like super technical for a second. No, that's good. But I try to take that urban upbringing I have, combine it with that theory, what we do know, what the research says and what the science says, and then really try to package that in something that is honest but compelling and uh, is on message. Great. Well, I know there's something about a photograph that can portray rural America in a way that words can't. But yet you you don't just use photography. You use the writing part of your skill set too to tell really powerful stories. So how do you use the power of a story to just help, help educate people about rural America and help um, shine a light on the great things that are happening there? Yeah, and I think for me, my approach to everything, it's twofold. I, I, I think I'm a decent writer, and I think I'm a, you know, a, an above-average photographer. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think like, I try to have them intertwined. Uh -huh. And for me, the, the photo is the introduction. And you know, I, I had a lot of fun producing a book and, and a, about a year-and-a-half-long project. And it, it's really neat going back in the stats because I am a data junkie as well that Millions saw that project. Mm -hmm. Millions, especially outside of rural um, America, saw that project. And it won some awards, and I was really happy with that. But the biggest thing that I ever got with that was it was really cool. I had a fashion photographer out of L.A. email me. And he said, the people in your photographs have a character that I can't find out here. Wow. And I said, you know, that's it. That, that really is, there's something about a life tied to the land, about working with your hands, that it shapes you. And not just internally, but visually as well. And I remember the cover of my book was a lady, really, really nice lady up near Lawrence, Kansas. And I got out of the car and she comes up to me and she's like, don't you share my wrinkles. Don't you show my wrinkles. <laughs> And I'm using, I mean, a medium format camera. This thing is, it captures every detail. And she came to an art gallery and her photo is five foot tall at this art gallery. I mean, it is a big photo. And she's like, you showed my wrinkles. <laughs> I mean, she's saying it nicely. Yeah. And I opened up 
the responses on a photography website that I'd posted on. And it was just thread after thread of saying, this is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. Look at that character. Oh, to have seen the life that she has led. And that was just like, that's what it's about is I really want to use a photo or video now as, as an introduction. And then hopefully I can have some fun with some writing and I can, I spend a day with these people. I mean, by the end of the day, I really care about them. Mm -hmm. And some of the people that I have photographed when I'm driving through town and I don't tell them, they get like, you didn't come by. <laughs> uh, I know there's, there's a hog farmer that every time I see him or he, I show up on social media, he's like, Scott, you still haven't come by our place yet. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they become really close to me and I spend that day writing. And what I really want to do is, um, you know, if I can use my writing to convey my experience mm -hmm. meeting these people as kind of an outsider, that's that's what I want to do. And I have fun writing. Writing is my first love. Photography was my second. Um, I just ended up being better at photography than writing. So, um, but that's what I try to do. And I just I want the photograph to be the really the first impression, mm -hmm. and then to really try to draw them in to uh, what I was experiencing taking that photograph and, and hopefully something that's true to their life. Yeah, and now you're sort of venturing more into the video aspect of things too, right? Yes, that has been an interesting journey. You know, <laughs> I've been set my ways for 15 years in this photography journey and I, I don't want to say photography's on its way out because I don't think it'll ever will be, but I saw that there was a huge need for video mm -hmm. and that video can just convey so many things. I think a photograph, it's tangible. You can put it on a wall. It's going to be around for a long time. I love photography, but video is just so powerful to convey all of that. And you have music, you have scene cuts, you, you can really get to the heart of the matter. It just takes so freaking long to do. Yeah, it really does. I don't think people realize until I got involved with video, I had no idea how long it took to edit a video and put all of the components together. Yeah, I know for a photograph, like a photo that I'm sending out to an agency or a publisher, I might have eight to 10 hours of edits on one photo. Wow. I mean, a video, you're looking days and weeks, mm -hmm. but you know, it's really fun. And it's as an artist, it's really fun to go back to learning something. And when I learn something, I get obsessive about it. So I've been like Googling and YouTubing and reading as much as I can. And uh, it's really fun being like, okay, I've, I've got a lot to learn. But uh, I would say video is probably 70% of wow. everything I do now. And so I've been having a lot of fun doing that for other companies, for my day job, you name it. But it's I, I love that it can get the, the feels going. It can get the tingles going. Uh -huh. um, you can measure it from a communications aspect. You can see a lot of different things with it. Yeah. And that is different than a photo because is it, I mean, I'm sure sometimes you can measure the impact of a photo, but can you really? I mean, that's. It's tough. I mean, there's like eye tracking software, like, okay, look, they took this pattern and all oh, this. Okay. And like, they, they looked at this photo for X amount of time, but for okay. video, we can actually be like, okay, we had a spike here and a drop off here. Yeah. And so next time we talk about, I, I remember the first video I ever did um, for a personal project. It was about antibiotics and ranchers judicious use of antibiotics. And it was like super like high engaging, high engaging, talking about family, family, family. And then he said antibiotics and boop, everyone clicked off. <laughs> Cause it was to an urban audience. Uh -huh. And they're like, oh, nope, 
they're trying to educate me. Like I'm, I'm signing off. I'm like, okay, what can we do and what can we learn from this? Yeah. And so it, it's fun too because you can kind of like focus group your content uh-huh. using social media without really ever talking to people. So the data is nice. That's really fascinating. So going back to the book that you wrote, mm-hmm. um, it was called Kansas Farmer. Correct. Yeah. that. Tell us a little bit about that whole concept and project because <laughs> it was really a neat thing and um, a cool thing for you to be a part of. You know, I I joke about that book here and there, but yeah, I, I'm proud of it. And yeah. uh, the whole process to get to that point was actually pretty hilarious. <laughs> so I was in Colorado. That's where I had met my wife. And I was a burned out teacher and I realized it wasn't fair to my students for me to stay in the profession. They needed someone who was just passionate about it. And I kind of lost my passion for teaching high school. And I was a fashion photographer and a wedding photographer. And I was like, okay, like, this is what I do. This is what I do. And then I was like, okay, I'm trying to be that Project Runway photographer, all that type of stuff and moved out to Kansas, which is my wife is from Kansas and went to grad school. And I remember p- trying to pick up my camera and being like, I can photograph hay bales. <laughs> I can photograph old barns and maybe like photograph cows through fences because I didn't know any ranchers. And so I got so frustrated that I almost sold all my camera gear. Wow. I had a Facebook post up and a Craigslist post ready to sell it all. And I just remember being like, what is there to photograph in Kansas? People. I can photograph people. And so I went out and messaged a bunch of people, went into like ag Facebook groups. And it's amazing to this day, this whole thing ever got started. But I'm like, hey, I'm from California and I'd really like to photograph a farmer. <laughs> that didn't go over well. <laughs> I kept posting for like two months because here's this bum out of California, right? I mean, I was an ag major. I was getting my master's in agriculture. Like, hey, can you let me on to your farm and ranch? I promise I'm not an activist. Like, <laughs> I will, can I just photograph you? And I think someone felt sorry for me. Because okay. they're like, yes, you can come photograph my dad. Aww. It's during wheat harvest. So, and I bring big lights and strobes. So we all know how much extra time people have during wheat harvest, right? <laughs> and I don't think she told him <laughs> that I was coming. <laughs> I got a look and I'm like, okay, he was uh, harvesting a field that was going to insurance anyways, because it was a a hailed out field. So at least he wasn't that big of a rush. But I remember taking those photos. And while I was taking those photos, I remember that was the first time for a long time and I enjoyed photography again. I think the last time I'd enjoyed photography really outside of that was Ethiopia. And photographing kind of some of the famine out there. And I didn't enjoy the famine, but I enjoyed being able to do something that had purpose. Mm -hmm. And I looked into this guy's eyes and I'm like, this guy's had a hard year. Yeah. How can I tell his story? And all of a sudden I started posting that images and they did well. And I used that as a springboard. I'm like, hey guys, here's what I've done. I started messaging other people. Can you let me come out and photograph your ranch? And someone let me come out and photograph her sheep farm. And I remember it was getting to be sunset and I was like, okay, no, this looks really good. She grabbed the lamb and I put up a backdrop in the middle of the field and I took a picture of her holding a lamb and that's still one of my favorite photos. And that got a lot of attention. Okay. And it got, I think, photo of the day on international website F-stoppers. 
And all of a sudden, people started resonating to this. And I finally felt why. I'm like, this is something I'm passionate about. The fashion photography and the wedding photography felt like something that I had to do to be a successful photographer. I didn't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. I did this because I wanted to. And I did this because I felt like there was a connection in photographing these people. And I think that's what eventually people got was this is something I was passionate about. Uh-huh. So I started photographing more and more people. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a fine art photographer up in Minneapolis. And like, we should, I should do a book. And so I found uh, some people to do, help me out with that. Uh, the Kansas Farm Bureau uh, partnered with me on that. And I spent a year photographing about 25 Kansas farmers and telling their stories. It was in the middle of uh, the arrival of our second kid. I was side hustling. I was doing grad school and writing a 200-page thesis at the same time. So, of course, I had extra time to do a book. Yeah. So No big deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Props to my wife because, my gosh, what was probably going through her head because she was working full-time as a store manager to put me through grad school. Wow. So she's like, one more thing, Scott, really? But we published this book, and the great thing is all profits went to uh, a scholarship. And so the scholarship was earmarked for K-State students in ag communications who want to advocate. So it's a great way to take an advocacy project and really go ahead and try to invest in the people who want to advocate in our future. Yeah. Wow. So that was really fun. It it got into some art galleries. It got some awards here and there, some uh, really world-renowned photographers. I had sent copies to them. And they said, oh, great project, and posted on social media and got some of their people to purchase it. So it was really, it was a really, really fun project. So I think we sold 1,000 copies in a year. Uh, Harvesters was a huge part of, uh, of getting to that number. But I think the average book sells something like 100 copies a year. Wow, that's so, great. Yeah, I was really happy with it. Yeah, it sounds like fun. So what are some of your other favorite projects that you've worked on? So one of my other, this was probably the most random one I have ever done, was a, a PBR bull rider project. And uh, this is a personal project as well. I'm a huge advocate for personal projects because you're not doing them for money. You're just doing them for you. Yeah. And uh, so with, with all that and the nuances of doing things with the PBR, uh, somehow I got a, a media pass in and like, okay, do you want to be in the bucking shoots? I'm like, no, I want to set up a photography backdrop right when they're coming out of the right when they're coming out of the rides you know right when they're really receptive uh-huh. right and i had my lights set up and I had a little assistant and um so pretty much what i did is that there were gosh 60 qualified rides a night or 60 rides a night for two nights and i got rejected 90 percent of the time but I was like, hey, photograph. And you just got, it was within one minute of them getting off the bull. Okay. And the bulls were like extra rank that night. So <laughs> yeah, the guys who stopped for a photograph were really kind because they did not feel like doing this. Uh-huh. And I got rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected for maybe an hour. And like I set up all this stuff. And then uh, Marchi, if you're familiar with bull riding, like one all time, the all time great for bull riding, said, sure. And he stood in front of my camera, and I took one of my favorite photos ever. But then what he did, super nice guy, he just stood there, and every single other Brazilian uh-huh. that got off and was bucked off, he made sure that they came by my little photo booth Wow! to get their photo taken. And he was a translator, just super, super nice guy. 
And like Mike Lee, I got to photograph him. He's also one of the all-time greats and, and a few others. And it was really cool because there was just, you know, you see a lot of portraits of bull riders, but none that formally done essentially within a minute or two of them yeah. getting off the bull. So, um, That's a fun idea. I yeah, mean. it was fun. I can't use that for anything because, you know, um, PBR and advertising. Oh, and, sure. And uh, we want to play by their rules, and I'm really, really thankful and gracious they even let me let me do that but they did let me put it up on my website just as a little portfolio piece just for fun awesome but uh that was one of my that was kind of nerve-wracking too because like oh my gosh here are these bull riders i grew up watching and uh took some photographs of them so those are really fun that's great i something i love about your story is just i mean you've said a couple of times like you almost gave up on photography and even like sitting there that night like rejected 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 but you waited it out and then you got this awesome result and what would you say to people who are feeling maybe a little bit frustrated but know that there's like this burning passion in them to do something yeah I I always say I think like prom season senior year warmed me up for all the rejection I would (laughs) face (laughs) so uh, but I would just say like I I was raised to be kind of tenacious Uh uh-huh I think, and to just keep going and be ultra competitive. And eventually I just made it a game with myself okay. that I was going to do something. But I think ultimately the big thing was that if this is something I enjoyed, I'm not letting anything stop me. And in high school, in college, when I was learning photography, I had friends that were go out. I'm like, no, I'm reading. Uh, that's when actually you'd buy a book for photography uh, for the younger people. YouTube didn't exist back then. <laughs> so we, we had, it was a dark, dark time. Um, <laughs> learning's more fun now yes. and easier. But um, I was just, this is my obsession. And I think you have to be obsessed. And I have a family now, so I have to dial that back a little bit. But I think that's what you have to live, sleep, eat, and breathe. Mm-hmm. If, and if, if you would rather veg in front of the television for two hours at night than work on your craft, you don't want it enough. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to sacrifice and put yourself out there, don't want it enough. And I am totally fine failing and failing incredibly publicly. Um, because if I don't, you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And I'm totally fine failing. Like Amazon has 20% of their budget earmarked for failure. That's and so if a multinational company knows that they're going to fail 20% of the time and they've actually invested money into failing, why don't I do that for me? And I've failed so many times. There are so many pictures that I've messed up or videos that I'm like sitting on tons of videos right now that just didn't work. Um, those are all last year. Everything this year has worked, yes, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I am fine with failure. I don't want to reach the end of my career and be like, everything was safe. I, uh-huh. Everything I succeeded at because that means I'm not getting better. Mm-hmm. You get to go into rural America and see a side of people, a closeness to them that a lot of us might not get to experience. Given that perspective, I guess I would say, what does that tell you about the future of rural America? You know, the big thing that has caught me off guard with everyone I photographed is they pretty much say the same exact thing. Well, it makes 
not at least something I'd normally do, but if it helps ag, I'm down for it. Okay. Every single response I get, like, it might make them uncomfortable to stand in front of a camera, but their whole thing is, if it helps agriculture, I will do it. And that's just kind of this whole thing. And it's what I've learned going throughout rural America is you have a group of people that just want people to know their story, mm-hmm. realize their perspectives, realize their struggles. And that's really the common thread that we have as people is adversity, struggles, and overcoming. That's woven into our story. That's why we love a good story is overcoming things. And so you have a whole group of people that are genuine, that are kind, that give you the shirt off their back, even if they don't even know you. And they will do whatever is possible to help their neighbor and tell their story. They're passionate about agriculture. They're passionate about their industry. They're passionate about their town because there's so much history and they can remember walking the streets or you know, riding a horse or even talking about so-and-so's neighbor, and it's, it is a lifestyle, and it is a very close-knit community, and I think that's a big thing with that, is that there is that focus on, on family, on, on values. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing such a great job of telling those stories and help shining a light on that. It's, you do a great job with it. I appreciate it, and I mean, overall, what I tell them, too, is my photos only and writing is only as good as their story. And that's what it boils down to is you have to have a good story. And it has to be honest. It has to be true. And I can't fabricate that. Mm -hmm. And so I just hope that a simple photo and some words can help convey what they have done the hard work doing. Yeah. So good. Well, do you have any projects coming up that we can keep an eye out for? I do have some projects coming up. Can't really talk about it yeah, yet. I'm uh, thinking about starting it next year. So once both my kids are in school, I have a three-nager. Um, that's what we call him. <laughs> he's three, but he, he's a three-nager. And uh, almost six-year-old. So once they're a little bit older, I can, I can start on some personal projects again. So I have some coming up. It's going to deal with uh, the future of agriculture. So I'll just kind of put it that way. And then I'm always trying to do some videos and things like that. I, I love my church, and so we did an Easter production and on our church and did a video talking about how some people's lives have just been amazingly changed. And so I'm going to be doing some more things like that and really focusing on, on people yeah. and, and their stories and uh, just it's a lot of negative stuff right now, and I want to be encouraging. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a glimpse into where we will be going want to definitely stay with my photos, but um, there'll be some video projects popping up. Super excited to follow along and see where all that leads. So how can people follow along with your journey? Yeah, I would say the big thing is Instagram. So Scott Stebner, C-O-T-T-S-T-E-B as in boy, N-E-R. And that's uh, probably in the show notes, so I don't even know why I spelled it out loud like that. But uh, you can do that. Facebook, I don't really post to Facebook too much anymore. Um, one day I'll get a YouTube going again, but yeah, Instagram will be the big thing. My stories are mostly coffee and children, but I'll do some behind the scenes photos here and there too. So Instagram is a big way to probably get a hold of me and you can go to my website, scottstebner.com. And there's some great stories out there. You can obviously see a lot of awesome work that Scott has done. So I appreciate it. 
It's fun. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It has to be fun. And it's fun to look at. So it's all good. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. This has been fun. Thank you very much. Well, I'm just amazed at Scott's work and how an unlikely ag background led to where he is today and has given him this really unique perspective. Be sure to go check out his website. You will not be able to take your eyes off his photos and videos. They are that good. And Scott was actually featured this week on The Ruralist, which is a new project I have rolled out with Brooke Clay of Rural Gone Urban. We're partnering together to shine a light on top influencers and advocates of rural living. And we were honored to feature Scott in our inaugural list. You can check it out at ruralist.co. And we'd love to have you nominate your favorite ruralist for our next list that will come out in October. Huge thanks to Scott for being on the podcast. And thanks to you for listening in. We'll be back next week. Have a great day, everybody.